You're listening to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science, a Cleveland Browns podcast, a show where a philosopher and a rocket scientist try to make sense of the Cleveland Browns. The Football Philosophy and Rocket Science podcast is a part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Elliot Kennel and Joel Cade. Hi there. Welcome to the show. Um, I forgot my usual uh, script, so I'll just tell you that we are the greatest geniuses to ever broadcast about the Cleveland Browns. Ever. Joel. I'm Elliot. And uh, what do we got on tap today, Joel? Well, today we're going to look at the new Browns dog logo. Dog logo. Mm, That's right. uh, Peyton Hillis has broken his silence on the situation with saving his kids. And you, Elliot, yes, you, Elliot, are going to rank... AFC North defenses. Yeah, AFC North defenses, yes. We'll talk about that. And, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, talk about the dog logo. That's of great historic importance in Northeast Ohio because we had the Canton Bulldogs for years right, and years. Let's, let's the pull the Bulldog logo. Early 1900s. So see it. Yeah. So, so somebody has made this dog logo. I'm sure everyone has seen it. Has made this dog logo into a pair of shoes. So I'm going to, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, can see the dog logo. Let me get rid of this right here. Oh, okay. That's on the shoes. You got these Nike swoosh thing. You got Cleveland Browns. You got a little elf down there. Yeah. It's kind of nice. Team colors, brown and orange. It does look nice. It really does look nice. You can put your Um, name and your number right there right by the heel. Yeah, no, it, it really it does the logo justice, I think. As a standalone logo, I'm not sure I like it that well, but on a pair of um, uh, basketball shoes. Now, are these intended to be competition basketball shoes? Do we know that? I think they're just uh, the kind of shoes you buy and collect and show off every once in a while when somebody comes to your house. And you're like, look at these shoes, and you put them up and show them somebody. Yeah, no, I think I want to have a pair. I think those are those are really sharp-looking shoes. And uh, if you could play basketball in them, that would be so much the better. I wonder if Miles Garrett would buy those in order to play basketball in. They're absolutely fabulous. Uh, well, there's there's no link on the tweet. The tweet came from somebody named Doghouse at dog underscore P-O-U-N, who apparently follows me. So, all right. Okay. And, uh, so, if you want to... Send them a, a message, say, hey, I'm going to get these shoes. I, I have a feeling they're just one of those things that he did on his Mac or something to make it look cool. Oh, okay. Well, I think it should go commercial. It looks, it's just a fantastic looking design. And yeah. so I hope that uh, Nike will pick it up. If it's not a true commercial product, it should be. I think it's really I think I don't, I'd buy a pair. I mean, I'm not going to be, I'll be, I'll be stroking those around. I'll probably wear them outside too. You, you know, when they had the, uh, new uniform uh you know in, in formulation i thought that some of the fan submissions were actually better than what they wound up with truthfully some of those brown and orange hideous looking things well some of the fans did a really good job i thought we have some very creative artists in the greater cleveland area and many people who are artistic are also very interested in sports so they go hand in hand but yeah, no, I, I really like that design. I think it's uh, fabulous. I hope it becomes a real shoe, and I think I probably got to have that shoe, man. Even though I don't play basketball, I'm way too old for that. I, I, I will wear say, it at the Browns backers meetings, huh? 
I will say this. McNeil has come out with his own version of the dog logo. Let me share that for you. <laughs> it's got these beady eyes. Yeah, yeah. So here's the before. No eyes. No eyes. And here's the after with the eyes. Oh, I like the one with the eyes a little better. Yeah, I think yeah. McNeil's version's better. Yeah, it's like, how dare you? So if you guys out there want to know where that is, go to McNeil uh, at reflog underscore 18. Okay, check it out. It's actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, now the Bulldog logo is a... Let's go back to that a little bit. That's a great sure. historic importance because why? Because the Canton Bulldogs were the first professional football team. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's why we have the Canton Pro Football Hall of Fame. We also had the first Cleveland World Championship was the Cleveland Bulldogs, which were related kind of a sister team to the Canton Bulldogs, but it was not the Canton Bulldogs. Uh, they were uh, separate business entities, actually. And Joel, do you know, we've probably talked about it on this show briefly, but do you know what happened to the Cleveland Bulldogs, the world champion Cleveland Bulldogs? I believe that was in 1924. What happened to that I team? do know. I do, do you know? know? You ready for this? Yes. They got stolen from Cleveland and taken to New York. That is correct. They got stolen. Uh, they they uh, moved for one year to Detroit, and then uh, the uh, Mara family said, gee, they got a really good quarterback. I think we'd like to have that quarterback here in New York. So they bought the whole darn team and moved the whole team and merged the rosters. And so they had the best team. I think they lost the NFL championship anyway because they screwed it up somehow, which serves them right. <laughs> I mean, when, you're, when your last name is Latin for evil, I mean, you know. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. But uh, anyway, yeah, Benny Friedman was the quarterback that they had to have, and there were some other good players that also, you know, about half the team literally were Bulldogs and the other half were Giants, <clears throat> and they wound up um, – playing in New York, but uh, Browns fans uh, do not be naive and think that this cannot happen because it's happened so many times in our past that it's crazy to think that this could never happen to us. You know, we lost the Cleveland Bulldogs, and for that matter, the Canton Bulldogs were also lost. Uh, the Akron Pros were lost. Uh, the Cleveland Rams, what city did the Cleveland Rams play in? Actually, I don't even know. They moved so many times. So I believe they're back in Los Angeles now. I believe they're back in Los Angeles now, yes. The world the champion Los Angeles Rams. Rams. The world champion Cleveland Rams moved in 1945. Don't forget that. world champ. We lost two world championship teams in Cleveland. Then, of course, the Browns came in to replace the Cleveland Rams. Uh, they wound up moving to Baltimore. Boo. And, uh, you know, and now we have a stadium lease situation coming up. And uh, the money is already spent. They put stadiums here, there, and everywhere. Um, you know, the money was supposed to be really for the, the uh, Cleveland uh, baseball team, the Guardians, and that's supposed to say what they 
former name was, right? You mean the Indians? Uh, yeah, the Indians. Okay. And uh, by the way, there was a Cleveland Indians football team also, which was lost, yep. but they were not world champions. But they did have Jim Thorpe on the team. Um, and then, and then also, of course, the Reds and the Bengals. Um, but uh, do we trust the politicians that much that we're sure that they're going to get it taken care of by uh, 2019? Are we sure 20, that 20, uh, 2029? Is that what you're saying? 20, yeah, 2029. Pardon, I can't. I don't remember what year it is anymore. And are are we sure that uh, oh the, the uh, Haslam's are just rolling in money and they'll probably find you know I think Mrs. Haslam finds a billion dollars in the uh, dryer when she does uh, Mr. Haslam's laundry. They'll use that money in order to buy the new stadium. So it really won't cost them any money. Um, you know, Cleveland is not a big market anymore. It used to be, uh, you know, it's like the top, uh, like seventh largest city in, in America or something back in the 1940s. But it's not today. And there are cities that are much bigger than Cleveland, much better well-financed that would love to take the franchise away. And uh, I think it's naive to think that it can't happen. And, so, Elliot, uh, you do know that like there's plans in play, like there's talk of having a new stadium up on the waterfront up there by the lake where they're at by redoing the whole lake, creating a land bridge, connecting it to downtown and building a new stadium right on the same spot. Yeah, I think I, I'm not sure I understood that there would need to be a new stadium, but there definitely would be upgrading of the area. That entire area will be made into a commercial complex and that there will be substantial uh, 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 renovations and upgrades to the present stadium. So I, I think, I, let me tell you a story. I hmm. lived in this town at one point called Kankakee, Illinois. Okay. Yeah. And there was this donut shop on Main Street in Kankakee. It was, uh, I don't I think it was a Krispy Kreme. I forget what the exact donut shop was. There's this donut shop. I used to drive by it every day. I worked at this bank called Kankakee Federal. Drive by this thing every single day. One day I come back and like the whole building is destroyed except for one wall. One wall is still standing. Okay. I'm like, wow, they're going to rebuild this whole thing. And then one day I drove by and I saw this sign that says, please excuse our mess while we remodel. And I asked the bank, I'm like, how, how, I asked people at the bank that I knew, like, how is this a, a remodeling? They tore the whole thing down. They said, well, as long as you have one wall, one piece of the, of the structure is still available. It's technically a remodeling and not a rebuilding. So I think the plan downtown Cleveland is to like tear down basically the whole stadium, except for the support pillars, concrete pillars. And then build like a whole new stadium inside of it. Uh huh. Okay. Well, like what the Bears it, whatever it is, field. whatever it is, Cleveland has to be major league and competitive with the other teams in the NFL, or the team will be lost. It's as oh, I agree as, with you. I completely agree. That. I mean, just think about Baltimore, right? This is their fourth professional NFL team. Okay. They had three iterations of the Colts, and they all yeah. left. Because of that stupid stadium they had, and they didn't do anything with the stadium, and so they left, and eventually they stole the Browns when they built a brand new stadium and offered Art Modell like a billion dollars. 
Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's actually, yeah. Don't even we don't want to be in that position again. That Baltimore is. We don't want to be in a position where we're have to like, what are we going to do with our stadium? So, I mean, if, if it ever comes to a vote, I'm voting for the stadium. I'll pay a little bit extra. In oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cut me in to help campaign for that uh, statewide. We need to get political support. Uh, I will definitely work with uh, our politicians to help, you know, marshal support in any way that I can. I'll put it's a very- sign out from my house. Absolutely. I'll go door to door, whatever it takes. We got to get this thing through. They should do what the Packers do. You know, the Packers are owned by the city of Green Bay. Yes. And every once in a while, when they need money, they'll offer up these, um, mm. you know, shares of the Packers. Which, yes. yeah, they get a certificate. And you pay like- that, but you, you understand you're talking heresy. The owners do not want to do that. It's a good old boys club. Well, good old boys and good old girls club. They do not want to do that. Don't do things that make NFL owners mad by talking <laughs> nonsense. You're going to do it their way and get their support. You, you want you know why that is? You, you know why that is, Elliot? Don't advocate destroying the NFL. You want the stadium to exist. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you why that is, and you're going to just, just hang on a second. Okay? I'm hanging. Hang on. Oh, no. I got to go fix something. Dang it. Okay, I got to stop. Is it time for a break? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. What we're going to do right now is talk about why the NFL acts the way they do with their owners. Because the NFL owners are... We are the Borg. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. That's right. That is what the NFL owners are. They are the Borg, and they will do whatever they want to do. Well, I'm I'm cool with that. I'm willing to play ball with the Borg because I want to keep the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. And uh, I'm willing to sacrifice just about all of my moral principles in order to make sure that that happens. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, man. Like, my life savings, who cares? Keep the Browns. Keep the Browns. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> the Let's NFL owners own me on that. this one. They own me on this one. Absolutely. So what else we got on to tap today? Yeah, let's talk about Peyton Hillis. Peyton uh, Hillis, baby. Peyton Hillis is in the news. Apparently, he went on Good Morning America to discuss his story of diving into the ocean to save his kids. And Elliot knows all about this. Well, no, this is very important because Peyton Hillis could save somebody's life. Somebody who's listening to this show right now could have their life saved by Peyton Hillis. So it's important to pick up on what's happening, uh, what happened to Peyton Hillis, because it could happen to them. A lot of people like to go swimming in Florida. I like to go swimming in Florida. Do you like to go swimming in Florida? Have you gone to f- swimming in Florida? I have. Okay. I've been Did in Florida to go swimming. Okay. This well, goes into you- like my multiple spring break trips to Florida. There you go. Going to a private school where you're not allowed to drink or dance or go to movies. Mm, Okay. Well, that would either mean that you went to reform school or you were a Notre Dame alumnus. (laughs) Well, Notre Dame wasn't that bad. Notre Dame was graduate school. So uh, my undergraduate school was, you know, that was reform school. Okay. It was pretty close. (laughs) All right. Well, okay. All right. But let's let's get serious here. What this could happen to you because when you go to Florida, there's a danger that you could get caught in a rip current. It's a real thing, and uh, if you're uh, not stronger than Peyton Hillis, you might drown in it. 
So what is a rip current? Because I don't know. I've been caught in one, so I can tell you exactly what yeah, There you is. go, folks. Elliot is the most interesting man in the world. There's not an experience no, he hasn't had, not including, including getting caught in a rip current. What it is is because, you know, the, the uh, current sort of comes at a, at a slight angle and, you know, it reaches a certain point and then it just sort of turns around and it heads straight out to, uh, to the, uh, you know, out to nowhere, out to Europe, it goes away from the shore. And it goes very fast. It picks you up and it just takes you like you're a surfboard and sends you out uh, to the deep ocean. And uh, it's, it's, so it's very, very scary. And the thing that you have to understand is your initial reaction is that you're going to swim like hell to shore. And that is so wrong because you cannot overpower the rip current. The rip current is faster than you are. But what you have to uh, have faith in is that if you swim sideways parallel to the shore, you know, you know, not not like this, but parallel to the shore, eventually you'll get out of the rip current and then you can turn towards the shore and make it to safety. Um, so uh, th that's what you have to do. Now, uh, Peyton Hillis didn't understand that. And I'm, in fact, I, I wish he would just really say that to the people and explaining what he did wrong. Um, but if you just fight and fight and fight and fight the rip current, uh, uh, unless you're an NFL football player, you're probably going to die. And so what you've got to do is go parallel to the shore until you get out of the rip current, and then you can head to shore. You know, don't panic. you got to save your energy and get parallel uh to shore and then turn toward shore. That's that's the formula for how to save your life. So I, rip that, prints that is a real, real I'm gonna I'm gonna pass this on to my son who lives in Florida. Yeah. Because I don't want him getting caught in a rip current. I will say this just for anybody who's listening and doesn't really understand the Peyton Hillis story, uh, if you didn't get a hold of it or you didn't find out what happened, Peyton Hillis's kids apparently got caught in a rip current. Yes. And he swam out and got these kids and brought them to safety but in the process he ended up in the hospital um and almost died yeah he he was able to uh push his kids over to a a, a guy on a surfboard and he took the kids to safety but peyton was still out there fighting this rip current and uh he being peyton hillis uh you know went what does Peyton Hillis do? He runs up the middle. And so he kept on fighting uh, the rip current until eventually somehow he made it to shore. Uh, but he needed to be resuscitated by uh, medics. Uh, wow. And uh, he was in critical condition for some time. And uh, he, he could have very easily uh, uh, died uh, in, in that uh, situation. So it was very, very serious. And we're very, very glad that uh, he was able to survive. And so uh, he saved the life of his uh, son and his uh, niece, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, he, you know, there is there is a procedure for what to do if you get caught in the rip current. So, you know, the other thing is, is that if you're going to go swimming in Florida, 
It's not like swimming in a pool to begin with because the waves sort of toss you around. You do have to practice your swimming a lot uh, in the YMCA swimming pool um, before you go down there. So get in shape, um, but recognize that the, the waves are much more difficult to swim in than the, the wave-free swimming pool that you practice in in Ohio. So there's okay. a big adjustment. Be careful. Get in shape. Know the procedure and, you know, don't panic when it does happen. If you swim there long enough in Florida, it will happen to you. And with that, we're going to go to our commercial break. You are listening to the Football Philosophy and Rocket Science podcast with the Village Elliot and me, the left guard. On the other side of the break, we will chat about Elliot and his breakdown of the AFC North defenses. All right. See you on the other side. And we're back. Elliot, so you being the fantastic rocket science scientist you are and your affinity with numbers, I hear you've been doing some work on AFC North defenses from a numerical point of view. What you got, man? Well, I have, and I'll, I'll write this up in a future article for Dog Pound Daily, but uh, I, I have been interested in this problem because our intuition, I think yours, mine, and some of the other writers uh, among us, have believed that the Browns have upgraded their defense, although our gauging of fan sentiment is that fan morale is still pretty low. You know, we've sort of, well, we've had this Kool-Aid before. Yeah, drink that Kool-Aid. Not sure I'm buying this. Not sure I'm buying this. I don't know if these guys are really all that good. But I'll tell you what I did. You know, I went back and looked at the numbers and decided what positions are the most important. And the way I did it is I looked at what the NFL believes in terms of how it's set up the franchise tag and what the uh, rates are for different positions. And it turns out that uh, one thing that really surprised me is that this year the linebackers are the highest paid defenders in the NFL. Did you know that? As in how? Like annual salary or... Well, you, you know, they take the, the five highest. The five highest salaries determines the average of that determines what the franchise tag amount is. Right. But the franchise tag is actually higher for linebackers than defensive ends this season. Oh, is that, is that because of the edge rushers? I think it is. I think really, it's it's not really the classic linebacker. The classic. Right. I think you're talking more like edge defenders. But yeah, a lot of the edge defenders are classified as linebackers these right. days because they're getting like back TJ to Watt. These, these kind of uh, three, four-ish defenses. And mm-hmm. um, but in, in any case, that's how they're classifying them as linebackers. But anyway, I, I went with the uh, numbers that were presented. And uh, then also what I found very interesting is that uh, the uh, defensive tackles were right up there also, Hmm. very close to the defensive ends. And um, the safeties were the guys that were really kind of low on the pay scale. But anyway, I I use those numbers and I... Safeties are slow corners is what they are. Yeah, I use that and I rated... I rated uh, the importance factor. It said that if you were a defensive end, 
you're like 10% more important than if you're an average defender. And if you're a safety, you're like 15% less important. Okay. Okay. And then, then I went just up and down the roster about, you know, if you're the number one defensive lineman like Miles Garrett, you know, I assigned a numerical grade to that. And I went and looked at what they're willing to pay overall for excellence in the NFL. And what I found is, is that the top 10 guys really do make a lot more money. It's not a linear pay scale. Right. That they pay much more on the high end of the pay scale. But, you know, after you reach about number 50, you know, like the 50th, 50th best player, that sort of flattens out and they're all kind of the same after that. And so I said, okay, so if you're about number 50, it's not really that special whether you've got the 50th best guy or the 55th best guy, it's not going to make that much difference. Right. And so I assigned a grade to that where the number one guy is, you know, basically a hundred percent. And then the, uh, uh, number 50 guy is worth much less than that and it came out to be about three times as much value and so i assigned grades to all that and and so i what would you come up with man yeah so okay so I, and then i used i used in this case uh, pro football focus to get myself started and i'm going right. to use some other evaluations and so on um but what i found is that in terms of the personnel that are on the roster and how they're evaluated by a third-party evaluator. The Browns actually have the best personnel uh, of rated individual players in the AFC North. That's the only. Wow, there you go. That's the only group that I care about. I don't care how they compare to the to the uh, New England Patriots or to right. Kansas City and all that because they don't play in our division. The only teams right. that matter are the Steelers, the Ravens, and the Bengals. Uh, and then I also think that the defense is more important than the offense because why well, I'm an old guy and because what really matters from a game theory standpoint is the ratio of points in order to dominate the opposition. It's the ratio that's important, or if you understand the uh, – if you're a math geek, the Pythagorean win percentage depends more on defense than on offense. And uh, so you really have to hold the score down if you want to be dominant like the Chicago Bears in 1985. Okay, so anyway. So, Elliot, rank, rank the defenses for us real quick. All right. Well, who do you think is the worst defense in the AFC North? Baltimore Ravens, because they are garbage. Well... <laughs> I would have guessed that too, but you're well. Actually, I would have thought that. Yeah, I might have gone that way, but it turned out that the Bengals are really kind of thin. Um, they the Bengals have the worst defense. The Bengals have seven players that are ranked below average, according to Pro Football Focus, at their respective positions. They have some good players, but they don't have enough of them. And uh, they, they're they thin. They just don't have that many good players. And I went, uh, by the way, um, I picked uh, four players 
at each position group. And if they didn't list somebody a pro football focused, I just sort of automatically gave them credit for having somebody close to the 50th best player. Yeah, just an average player, right? So that they would be able to find somebody that was close to that in my uh, grading system. But the Bengals were distinctly worse than the other three teams. So you had and the then other three, and then you had the Ravens. Ravens. The, the, you know, the Steelers are actually very good on defense. They have a lot of players uh, that are good at all position groups. Um, well, I'll give you an example. One thing that was really kind of pathetic for the Bengals is that uh, they didn't have any safeties. They didn't have anybody that was listed among safeties that was in the top 50. Wow. That's really scary. So let's, let's get back um, to the Steelers for a second. So you're saying the Steelers, where are they at on the list? Number two or number three? They are number two. Okay, I can see this because the Steelers are playing football the way the Ravens used to play football, which is you stack up your defense and then you just pray to God your offense doesn't screw up. Like that's what they're playing on offense right now. They've got yeah, just, like, Kenny Pickett, they're trying to run the football. They're, they're basically going out there saying, let's play good defense and let's just not screw up on offense. Yeah, you know, the Steelers' salary cap was sort of hung over last year because they were still paying off Ben Roethlisberger. He was the highest paid quarterback on the team last season, even though he wasn't playing football. But now they've got the cap kind of straightened out and they've chosen to invest in defense. Mm-hmm. And they've got good players in the secondary. They've got linebackers. And, uh, of course, they've got T.J. Watt. And uh, they've got uh, Cam Hayward and all those guys. So they've got some really impressive talent all up and down the roster. They don't really have yeah, – I don't, I don't think – I mean, reasons. I think these this roster construction tells you what they think of their quarterback. Just like the Bengals roster construction mm-hmm. tells you what they think of their quarterback. Because yes. The bank, uh, the the Steelers. Let's go for the Steelers for a second. They don't. I don't think they believe in Kenny Pickett. That that's just my opinion. Well, they shouldn't be believing in Kenny Pickett. He might be able to read a defense, but he's not going to be able to throw the ball to anybody. I mean, his arm was like really subpar. He's got really small hands. If you believe in the small hands theory, but by the way, my hand, you can see it on the screen, is like a whole inch bigger than Kenny Pickett's, which is crazy. Like it's crazy, but. I mean, I can barely grab an NFL football and throw it. How can this dude do it if his his hands are whole inch smaller than mine? He can read a defense. I'll give him that. He, he you know he does pretty good with that, but he's not delivering the ball. And if he does deliver the ball, it's going to be on these short routes, so he's not going to threaten anybody deep because he can't throw it fast enough. And by the way, just a little educational moment: when we talk about somebody's arm strength. You're not talking about if they can throw the ball 50 yards. You can throw the ball 50 yards. The question is how fast or how hard can you throw the ball 50 yards? How fast is that ball going from quarterback's hand to 50 yards down the field? That's the measure of arm strength. And the reason that's important is because if that ball floats up there, somebody can just run with their 4-2 speed and catch the ball and intercept it. So that's why the ball has to go fast 50 yards. Not that it has to go 50 yards. It has to go fast 50 yeah. yards. Yeah, sure. But it also says what the Bengals think about their quarterback. They think with their quarterbacks and their wide receivers that they don't need a defense that can like really stop the opponents all that much because they think they can just get into shootouts and outscore people. Yes. Yeah, they've invested in the offensive line, and well, they should. 
they have invested heavily in an offense. But, you know, the, the Steelers are, I think, saying, well, we're going to win all of our games 19 to 15. Yep. And uh, maybe they can. I, they're going to play they, 1950s football is what they're going to do. Yeah. I, I, and so um, I I guess, well, I don't trust <laughs> I don't trust the Steelers. Uh, thou shalt not underestimate the Pittsburgh Steelers. That should be tattooed on the forehead of every Cleveland Browns fan. Well, I think that's uh, because the Steelers have continuity. They they have continuity. They have they've had a consistently like one message throughout between. Um, oh my, I can't think of the guy's name. The guy on the TV that used to coach the Steelers and Bill Cowher, and then. Um, Mike Tomlin, right? They've had one consistent message for almost 20 years with two coaches. You know, so there's already ingrained a pattern, a way of doing things. There's an expectation because they've had longevity, right? This is where the Browns fans start complaining. Well, they've got to fire Kevin Stefanski. The Browns are never going to get to this position where there's excellence expected year in and year out if you fire the guy as soon as there's a bad season. It happens. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's... You're not going to fire Kevin Stefanski, so just shut up about that. <laughs> you know, it just but if you fire a coach every time there's a bad year, you're never going to succeed ever because there's going to be bad years. There have been bad years for uh, Harbaugh over there in Baltimore. They are not doing bad things on the Cleveland Browns team. Uh, you know, they're not playing mistake-free football, but that doesn't happen. The Steelers don't play mistake-free football either. Mm. But, um, but they're well coached, right? They yeah, have they're a game plan. Yeah, they know yeah. they know who they are, and they're going to be themselves, right? They're going to come out with this three-four defense. They're going to blitz you on first down. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're going to like show a blitz on third down and play coverage and dare you to beat their coverage. They're going to run traps on coverage. They're going to show you one thing on third down and then do something else. This confused the crap out of Baker Mayfield, right? But that's who they are. That's what they're going to do. They're going to come at you fast and hard on first and second down, then play coverage. They're going to disguise the coverage on third down, and that's their formula, right? Then they're going to get on offense, and because they don't have a a competent quarterback, they're going to run the football, run the football, and run the football some more, and then maybe throw a short pass just to keep you from zoning in on the run. Yeah, and you you can always say, you know, when you have a chance to either go for it on fourth down or you can kick a field goal, you can always say that they should have done the other thing if it doesn't work, right? You know, whatever they choose. So I'm, I'm I think not buying that stuff. Where that you know, um, whenever there's something that goes wrong on fourth down, I'm going to go to call in on the talk radio show and complain about it because I knew that they should have done it the other way. Hey, negativity sells you. Just shut up about that. You got to you got to pick one thing or the other, and it doesn't work every time one way or the other you know we just have to accept that it doesn't it's right. not 100 percent one way or 100 percent the other way sometimes you the, kick, you'll go sometimes you go for it let's talk about the ravens defense for a second what okay. defense do they have a defense the ravens defense see the ravens used to be the team this is where i mean i i'm i'm gonna hold back now those who listen like those who listen to what the elf was that know that i like to hate on the ravens but I think the Ravens are putting a dramatic shift in who they are. 
They have been nothing but defense, 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 defense for I don't know how long. But the last three or four years, they've been drafting receiver, receiver, receiver. Like they want to become an offensive-minded team. They've been putting money into the offense. They, for whatever reason, they believe Lamar Jackson can throw the football down the field. And they've let people like Calais Campbell leave. They still have Marlon Humphreys on their roster, which good for them because Marlon Humphreys is just straight trash. I mean, I'm glad they still have him on the roster. He gets beat like every damn play and then like holds. And then when he gets called for holding, he gets mad and tries to choke out the receiver the next play. I, I mean, he's just straight garbage. But that defense is not what it used to be. It is so overhyped. But the Ravens aren't even like investing in that defense. It's like they've decided we're going to become an offensive team and we're going to have Lamar yeah. Jackson throw the football. Which I think is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. No, I agree with that. I think that they have a kind of an identity crisis, um, exactly. much like the Browns uh, have had historically, where they they vacillate between, um, well, I think we need to make Lamar Jackson into a pocket passer. And then they say, oh, no, let's go back to you know our roots where we're going to play power football with Lamar. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, you know, even years they do it one way and odd years they do it, uh, you know, a different way. And they, they don't know what they want to do. And, um, yeah, I, I think that is a problem. I think they still have a very good personnel uh, department. They're making good draft picks, but they're they're not really following a single plan. Right. I think their plan is just to try to put as many receivers as they can. I don't know how you justify signing the Quan Treadwell, but whatever. That doesn't you know, make any sense. Put any many receivers you can on the field and see if you can throw the football with Lamar Jackson. I have no idea. I think I think that one point when you had um, <clears throat> Ozzie Newsom as your general manager, I think you had a direction. Now that you've yeah, got yeah. like that Ray Liotta looking guy, I don't think they have a direction anymore. Yeah, Eric DaCosta is not Ozzie Newsom. I'm sorry. The bald Ray Liotta is what he is. This is not making any sense. Um, I, I don't think OBJ makes any sense. Um, I guess um, you justify now you're talking my language. I, I guess you justify it by saying that, oh, well, it's going to make um, Lamar Jackson happy. If you have to make a quarterback happy by blowing $15 million, um, I don't know that that's a good idea. I think you make your quarterback happier by paying the quarterback the $15 million as opposed to the wide receiver that coming off ACL surgery. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm not sure that. Yeah. I, I, I kind of get the idea that they were contemplating uh, either trading him to the New York jets, which might've been a good idea, trade him for a bunch of draft picks. I think I might've been tempted to take the deal that the Packers got uh, for the old guy. Um, I think I might have done that if I was Baltimore. I, I think they were wanting to hold the line and not pay ridiculous prices for a quarterback, and then they kind of chickened out. And uh, maybe there was owner interference. I don't know. But uh, they were not able to stick to a plan, and what they wound up doing was deciding, oh, well, let's get Lamar back and let's convert him to a pocket passer this year. Last yeah, year, they you know, decided they, they were going to run him. And uh, this year, they said, no, we're not going to run him again. This year, we're going to convert him to a pocket passer again. 
when they hired Todd Monken, they tried to sign Baker Mayfield. Todd Monken. What? <laughs> they brought Todd. I mean, the Ravens have Todd Monken in for. Uh, oh, we're going to get on this whole thing, man. They brought in Todd Monken as their offensive coordinator. And you know how much he and OBJ were on the same page. OBJ's out there doing whatever the heck he wants. He's mad at Todd Monken. So he's over on the sidelines yelling across the sidelines come trade for me, come trade for me, come get me. You know, they're all pissed off and upset about Todd Monken. Now he's back in Baltimore with Todd Monken with another quarterback who can't throw the ball. This is not going to end well in Baltimore. It's not. I, I really this, think this, this is going to be in fourth place. Well, I don't understand. Why did they want Baker Mayfield in Baltimore? Because Monken likes Baltimore. Monken likes Mayfield. And they weren't sure if they were going to sign Mayfield. So Mayfield was going to go back. Mayfield doesn't like that air raid. Does he? Yeah. They run the air raid. But I mean, he had a terrible terrible year for Monken and came close to leading the league in interceptions. I think um, that's that's just Monken's offense. Monken's offense is just an interception machine, which is another reason why I don't understand why they got him. Well, yeah, so so why would they want to recreate that in Baltimore? I don't know. Because they're why, stupid. Why would anybody, I don't know. Why would, I, why would uh, Baker want to do that? Why? Well, he didn't. He turned him down. He's like, I'm not doing that again. Then he went and signed with Tampa Bay. You can look yeah. this up. It's on the internet, man. Baker Mayfield yeah, no, talking about how they... perfect sense. I mean, you know, uh, I could understand why Monken might want to do that, but I wouldn't understand why Baker would do it. Yeah, Baker was like, no, I, I'm not doing this. Then he went to Tampa Bay. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes that. Yeah, Baker makes sense. Now, why would OBJ do it? I guess just because nobody the else money. was nutty enough to give him $15 million for one Correct. year. Yep. Um, that is exactly what that is. And, and that was such a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with DeAndre Hopkins. He's going to sign with one team and one team only, and that's the team that's going to give him the most money. Well, no, it's the I mean, same team that OBJ signed for. You know, the, the DeAndre Hopkins thing sort of makes me mad. People are saying that, oh, well, we're not going to sign DeAndre Hopkins because DeAndre Hopkins is asking for fifteen million dollars, like OBJ. Well, you know what? I'm asking for fifteen million dollars too from uh, fan side. That does not mean that I'm going to get $15 million just because I'm asking for it. So I right. think there is going to be some waiting period where people are going to see how much the market will actually pay. And I don't believe it will be uh, $15 million. But I, I do think that DeAndre Hopkins is a much better investment than OBJ. I would rather I believe that. Absolutely, uh, I believe that. You know, but I don't, I don't think that there's uh, a um, – NFL rule coming out that says that oh well now you have to pay DeAndre Hopkins fifteen million dollars because OBJ got it. That that's not an NFL rule. No, I agree. I think I think right now with the market with DeAndre Hopkins is that Hopkins has a sense of what he's worth. Okay. I don't think the NFL sees Hopkins as worth as what he thinks he's worth. So now he's going on this little tour. He's going to go to New England here pretty soon. And uh, we'll see if they sign him. He went to Tennessee. Yeah, he's he's not going to sign him. He's, he, you know, he's going to sign with Cleveland, but he's going to pretend to like New England, which he hates. He's not going to go sign 
with his old coach whom he hates. He's not going to do but that. You gotta you gotta stir up some uh some competition, you gotta stir up some yeah, leverage. That's what he's doing. But what, go I'll tell you leverage. What, what he's wise to do is to uh stay out of summer camp because he's mm-hmm. what thirty years old or thirty one. Yep. He doesn't he's gonna play 17 games as it is, he doesn't need summer camp. Just cool it. Take your time. He hasn't and, played more than 10 games in the last two seasons. Yeah, well, he had a you know a PED suspension. It's, exactly. It's, That's another thing you should be worried deal. about. It's a PED it's, suspension. It's not a big deal. Not a big deal. I, I'd be worried about it if the dude thinks he's losing the step and he's got to take some PEDs to keep up. Yeah, I, I don't I you know it was probably something dumb, but the point is though that uh he does not need to play 17 games in his current situation. I agree. At age 30, you know, his his problem is that he's he's a 30-year-old NFL player. There's no need to put your body through 17 games if you don't have to, and he doesn't have to. So what I think he, he should probably Huh? Go ahead. I'll, then I'll tell you what he needs to do after this. Yeah, no, I, I think he should probably wait until like game two or three in September, mm-hmm. and okay, now I'm I'm ready. I think I'll play about fourteen games. That's that's about the right amount. So and what he needs to in, do is go out and tear his ACL, then take an entire season off, and then he'd be worth fifteen million dollars. That way, oh. his his aura, his his uh, legend, the legend of DeAndre Hopkins, can expand. You know. And, and create money where there is no money. All right, yeah. Elliot, final thoughts, man. Mm-hmm. What you got for final thoughts? Well, I, I still believe that DeAndre Hopkins will probably sign with the Browns, but I do not believe that either will be in a hurry to do so. I also think that the Browns may have a greater need at cornerback, and if there's a possibility that they can sign a cornerback or possibly a defensive tackle, that that might be a better signing. Right. I agree with that, too. Um, not much in terms of final thoughts. I appreciate the uh, the chance to hate on the Ravens in this show. I always enjoy hating on the Ravens. It makes me happy. But I'll give you my last final thought. I am mad at Amazon. They canceled Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, that really makes me mad. I'm talking about the celebrity voices, right? You can get these celebrity voices for your devices, and you know, and you can talk about the Alexa this, Alexa that. You should be able to talk to Samuel L. Jackson. You could get him to cuss at you every day. I'd wake up, say some cuss word at him. He'd cuss me back, and I'd be off to a good day. Now I can't do that anymore. I had to like find some other person to cuss at me or something. I don't understand. It makes me mad. You know, screw those Amazon people and their I Thursday agree. night football. Screw their Thursday night football. Yeah, Thursday Thursday night football. I'm in favor of Thursday night football, but they need to be taught some humility. I want to have a uh, off week so that they don't have to play a, a four-day uh, rest right. period. What do you call it? I want them to have uh, more of a rest period before having no, They don't care. They don't care. All right, All right. Elliot. All Good right. show tonight. Good show. Thank you for listening to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science, a Cleveland Browns podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. 
You can follow Joel on Twitter at the Left Guard and Elliot at the Village Elliot. <laughs>